Kelly, and this is the Week in Doubt, a podcast for atheists, agnostics, and whoever. And this is episode 115. Today's podcast is brought to you by Audible.com. Get a free audiobook download at www.audibletrial.com slash theweekindoubt. Over 100,000 titles to choose from for your iPhone, Android, Kindle, or MP3 player. All right, now for the shout-outs. First up, I'd like to thank Bess Thorne for liking the Week in Doubt Facebook page. And now to acknowledge some of the latest Twitter followers. All right, first up, we have Drinking Quest at Drinking Quest. I'm Jason Anarchy, creator of Drinking Quest, the original drinking RPG. All right, um, <clears throat> I think I just gave you a plug. Skeptical Apparel at Adonai Assassin. Whoa. Um, next up, we have Ash Paula. And I forget what Ash stands for. I think it's Atheist, Secular, and the H is probably for Humanist. And her tagline is, Atheist, liberal, tree-hugging, hippie, lover of all things cookie. Some things in common, uh, without getting bogged down in a long philosophical discussion about labels, I guess it's safe to call me an atheist too, and I also love cookies. Uh, Next we have Nick Tyrone at Nicholas Tyrone. Atheist Nick at Scruffy Atheist. Interwomble. Atheist humanists making good use of the things that I find. Things that the everyday folks leave behind. Alright. Then we have Day Lynn at Sister Loud. It is better to look ahead. I agree for the most part. Although there's value in considering the past too. As long as you don't get too preoccupied with the injuries of the past. I'm already getting overly philosophical. Try to rein myself back in. Next, we have Frank Duncan at Atheist Starts. I'm an atheist and sculptor engaging in a polemic against religion. My website is atheiststarts.com. Trying to change the world one mind at a time. Looks like I gave you a plug, too. Okay. Free plugs for everyone. Next, we have Tala Bennett. Then Secular NZ at Secular NZ. Four, freedom of expression and belief, open dialogue, against religion being subsidized or interfered with by the state blocking equal rights. Well, I agree with that. Next, we have Russ Ray. And if you remember, if you're a regular listener, I recently thanked Russ for uh, liking the Weekend Out Facebook page and being good enough to reach out and take the time to let me know how much he appreciates the show. So now I'll give Russ a Twitter shout out as well. So, Russ Ray at Daddy Man Ray, lifelong atheist, humanist, vegetarian, small-time manufacturer of motorcycle bodywork, and most importantly, a dad. All right. Then we have Josh at Mr. Atheistic, and finally, we have Jeffrey Levin. I like that, just kind of ending on a normal human name. Jeffrey Levin. All right. All right, so if you're a regular listener, then you probably remember my recent interview with Alexander Nye, the playwright of Son of Man. Well, during our interview, Alex mentioned how he was going to start a Kickstarter effort in an attempt to help fund the play. Well, he did just that, and actually there's only days left before his Kickstarter effort comes to a close and I actually donated myself last week and I'm bringing this up not only because I like Alex as a person but because I believe in what he's trying to do and to jog your memory if you did hear the interview 
or to give you the basic gist in case you missed the interview, what Son of Man is, is a, well, it's actually billed as the first atheist play about Jesus. And it basically strips the supernatural elements out of the Jesus story. And it tells the story of a young Jesus, maybe in his early teens, and his kind of struggle to come to grips with his own identity. Uh, and I think that's one of the most powerful ideas in the play, is the idea of this young person trying to come to, to grips with the fact that, at least in their own head, that they may be divine, that they may be the Son of God. I think just on a human level, that's a very gripping idea. And if you have an interest in, in things like first century history or first century spirituality, the play is chock full of references to things like Gnosticism, mythicism, early Jewish spiritual beliefs, and things like that. Um, and if you'd like to learn more about the play, you can go to Kickstarter, do a search for Son of Man, and Alex and the play's director actually put together this great little video that tells you all about the play and tells you about the people behind the play and tells you about what they're trying to achieve. And I think it's a really powerful idea. Uh, so maybe you can go in, in to Kickstarter and check out that video and... If you're as excited about what Alex is doing as I am, uh, maybe you can think about donating um, before the uh, campaign comes to a close. All right, on behalf of Alex, uh, thank you in advance. Okay, now for some corrections. Uh, it seems like I went so long without having to make any corrections that I'm aware of, but then lately, all of a sudden... Uh, but anyway, the first one, Okay, so last week I accidentally referred to Nathaniel Hawthorne's The Scarlet Letter as The Crimson Letter. Um, have no idea what I was thinking. I was forced to read The Scarlet Letter in school. Uh, I'm from Massachusetts, uh, where the author was born and where the book takes place, uh, but nevertheless accidentally called it The uh, Crimson Letter. Same color family, at least, I guess. And I'm so vain or so neurotic that I quickly realized what I did. I went back in, I edited out the word uh, crimson, re-recorded myself saying scarlet, and then re-upped the episode. So a lot of you probably didn't even catch it, but for those of you who are early downloaders, you may have heard it. So there, I've humbled myself by uh, correcting the mistake and also humbled myself by pointing out how uh, neurotic and solipsistic I can be. Um, then the next one is, uh, I, I believe is last week, before I got into reading any news stories, I was just kind of off the cuff talking about recent news events. And one of the things I touched on was the controversial... Uh, abortion buffer zone case that was before the Supreme Court. And I think I said that the Supreme Court found the 50-foot 
uh, buffer zone outside abortion clinics to be unconstitutional. And uh, in fairness, I did hear, I believe, a, a number of news stories referring to a 50-foot buffer zone. But I guess what it was is that it was a case specifically dealing with uh, Massachusetts yet again. And uh, the 35-foot buffer zone that uh, until recently we had here outside of um, abortion clinics. And the Supreme Court, I guess, found that 35-foot zone to be unconstitutional. And um, recently while I was at work uh, being forced to listen to AM radio, uh, I, I noticed that, um, you know how AM radio is, is, they keep repeating the same news stories over and over again throughout the day. They were talking about this very thing, and they mentioned the 35-foot buffer, buffer zone, and that now um, anti-abortion groups are kind of becoming more brazen or confident, and now they're getting ready to challenge even uh, smaller buffer zones. And the local news mentioned something about them trying to sue to get rid of 25-foot buffer zones, but I could have sworn at least once the reporter said something about someone trying to sue about the 50-foot buffer zones too. So I don't know what the 50-foot buffer zone thing is all about, but I have heard it in recent stories. But specifically, I guess that Supreme Court case was dealing with the 35-foot buffer zones in uh, Massachusetts. Actually, while I was researching this and trying to double-check uh, my facts, I found kind of an interesting post by Dan Savage. Um, I really like Dan Savage. Uh, he's an outspoken gay rights advocate, and he has kind of... Uh, He's known for being kind of striding. He has this kind of acerbic wit. Um, and he, he posted an article to uh, an outlet called The Slog. Um, Slog.TheStrangler. <laughs> Strange name for a, um, a news outlet. Uh, I've, I don't think I've ever heard of it before, but I'll, uh, I'll read the post. Supreme Court strikes down abortion clinic buffer zones, posted by Dan Savage. And this was posted back on the 26th of June. The Supreme Court on Thursday unanimously struck down a Massachusetts law that barred protests near abortion clinics. The law enacted in 2007 created 35-foot buffer zones around entrances to abortion clinics. State officials said the law was a response to a history of harassment and violence at abortion clinics in Massachusetts, including a shooting rampage at two facilities in 1994. The law was challenged on First Amendment grounds by opponents of abortion, who said they sought to have quiet conversations with women entering clinics to tell them about alternatives to abortion. And here's where Dan Savage comments. And uh, I think he makes a really valid point in his um, usual kind of sarcastic or acerbic kind of way. And here's what he says. And when quiet conversations don't work, there's always shooting rampages, right? And really, who doesn't enjoy having conversations with complete strangers about their private medical choices on their way to see their doctors? And I, I think that's such a brilliant point. Yeah, these... People, uh, I guess, should have the freedom to say whatever they want. But it paints a really ugly picture when you think about you have these women making what is most likely one of the 
hardest decisions of their life. Um, probably one of the most emotional experiences of their life. And they're trying to just make their way into the clinic. And without those buffer zones, you have to deal with complete strangers in your face. And imagine what that's like, no matter how creepy nice these people might be. Imagine a complete stranger getting in your face during one of the toughest times in your life um, and trying to talk to you about some of the most intimate details of your life. And then, of course, uh, Dan Savage makes a good point about the violence, too. These buffer zones were to help protect people from um, violent Christian fundamentalists. It sounds funny because, you know, usually when we think of religion and violence, we think of Islamic terrorism or something like that. But I'm old enough to remember, I, I remember growing up and as a kid, every now and again, you'd hear about these violent attacks on abortion clinics. And of course, it's kind of funny, you know, the whole thou shall not kill thing. And these people talk about irony. Here's these people that are upset about the... Um, taking of life or potential life and how they try to solve it through uh, violence, bloodshed, and murder. Um, and they usually use the excuse that they're trying to save the innocent unborn. And uh, I think it was in last week's episode where I discussed how the Bible itself isn't so quote-unquote pro-life, or at least not as much as um, the average Christian would like to think. And um, thanks to Cenk Uygur at the Young Turks, I was giving some facts about places in the Bible where it actually um, seems to put less value on the unborn than it does a child that's outside the womb. And I'm not saying that's necessarily the right thing, but I'm saying that the, even the Bible isn't as pro-life as uh, modern Christians would like to think. And I also went into kind of um, a philosophical discussion about my own complicated views on abortion and how it puts two very important considerations at loggerheads. The right of a woman or just a human being to choose what they want to do with their body and the right of the unborn. Um, and even though I'm a non-believer, I do believe that life has value. But uh, at the end of the day, I side with a woman's right to choose. And like I said last week, you know, I feel very self-conscious talking about that because I'll never know what it's like to have to uh, make that poignant decision whether or not you want to keep a child. Um, you know, uh, us guys will never know what it's like to feel that life inside you um so yeah i, I always I, I always try to be <laughs> sensitive when i talk about the abortion issue because um i know it can come off as very kind of offensive when guys lecture about abortion but i come down on the side of a woman's right to choose but i also believe it's kind of like a moral spectrum the more developed the fetus is um the more morally troublesome the idea of abortion becomes. Um, but of course, even into the third trimester or something, even 
a baby that's old enough that in ideal conditions it could live outside the womb. Sometimes there's things like a threat to the life of the mother or um, the the baby might just not be viable and has some kind of hideous uh, defect or um, may not even um, have brain activity, etc. But on that cherry note, um, you can probably tell I can't wait to get off of this uh, controversial topic. I usually love controversial topics, but a guy talking about abortion, it always makes me feel a little uneasy because I want to make sure that I don't end up uh, coming off as uh, presumptuous or misogynistic. Okay, I'd like to credit this next story to friend of the show, Buzzwigs. Love saying Buzzwigs. It's been a while since we heard from him, but he got in touch recently, and I was a little disheartened when I saw that uh, his Facebook profile pic is no longer the kitten in the vinyl jacket working the uh, turntable. But anyway, um, he posted a link to a great YouTube clip, and... Um, I was pleasantly surprised to see it was from the Rubin Report. And I mentioned TYT or the Young Turks earlier. And um, Dave Rubin is affiliated with the Young Turks. And he sometimes sits in on the uh, the regular Young Turks show. Plus, he also hosts the uh, Rubin Report. And he was talking about these anti-atheism signs put up by, uh, or billboards, uh, put up by or paid for um, by Answers in Genesis, which is, of course, um, notorious creationist Ken Ham's organization. If you remember, um, Ken Ham is the creationist that Bill Nye debated not all that long ago. And it's funny because one thing that I sometimes butt heads with about in a very polite and civil way, as, as civilly as you can, butt heads, uh, with listeners about one of the very few things is my stance on um, atheist billboards. I'll sometimes say that I think that atheist billboards can be over the top or hurtful, and I'll almost literally say, but what about the children? You know, what about the little kids or the old age pensioners with the uh, delicate psyches who've known religion all their life? And, you know, and my argument has been that, um, you know, I can take it. I, I, I don't uh, I don't believe in a creator or an afterlife. And I've grown very comfortable with that outlook. It was a long, hard battle, but I've reached a point where I am comfortable with it. Um, but I kind of empathy for maybe religious people who who kind of vulnerable, like maybe small children whose parents have already told them that, you know, Jesus is God, blah, 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 you're going to go to heaven when you die, or an old person who's in the kind of um, the final stage of their life and one of their small consolations is their belief in a heaven or a God, and I'm worried about them seeing signs that say there is no God, so be good for goodness sake or whatever. Um, and a lot of my uh, listeners and fellow non-believers, atheists, etc., kind of disagree with me or think I'm a little wrong-headed on that one. And so Buzzwigs, in an attempt to try to um, turn my thinking around a little on the issue, sent me this uh, clip from the Rubin Report. And, and like I said, um, this time it's about 
not people being assaulted by atheist billboards, but non-believers kind of being uh, assaulted, uh, figuratively, of course, by um, anti-non-believer um, billboards. And the billboards in question say, and I'm working from memory here, um, I can't believe it. I'm glad I made it this far into the show. You guys know that I usually kind of work off the cuff or impromptu on the show, but once in a while I, I will read from notes. And I actually all week was compiling notes for this week's episode. And all of a sudden there was some kind of weird glitch where all my notes disappeared except for one line of like this bizarre gibberish. And iCloud synced that version of my notes, one line of demented glossolalia or something onto all my devices. So a week's worth of notes gone. So this whole show, I'm basically working off the cuff. Um, did I just use glossolalia out of context? That's when people uh, supposedly um, speak in tongues, like the snake handlers that uh, make up their own weird little language as they go and supposedly it's like the holy spirit working through them but uh anyway the billboard says something like to our atheist friends thank god you're wrong and uh dave rubin who, who doesn't talk about his lack of belief a lot or anything in fact i didn't even know he, he was uh an atheist or had atheistic leanings he said that even though he's a comedian and he's thick-skinned, he was actually kind of insulted by that billboard. And I could see why it kind of insults me. It is rather condescending. And he made a good point that if you said that about any other group, of course, atheism isn't a religion. To me, it's the absence of religious belief. But it's still considered kind of, for lack of a better term, like a religious categorization, um, and if you said, my Jewish friends, thank God you're wrong, or my Islamic friends, thank God you're wrong, you know, there'd be hell to pay. But if you, you know, but people can get away with, um, with assuming that kind of attitude towards, uh, atheists or non-believers. And of course, it's jaw-droppingly arrogant or presumptuous, too. There you are. You're assuming you know there's a God. My atheist friends, thank God you're wrong. You're saying you know that the atheists are wrong. And as I've said many times, I think there's this kind of misconception that an atheist claims to know with 100% certainty that there is no God. When it's more the case that we tend to believe that we're skeptical, we tend to believe that all religions are man-made, so it doesn't make sense to turn to man-made religious texts to try to find out the ultimate truths of the universe, to try to know the mind of God, if a God even exists. Um, for the sake of argument, if there is a God or an afterlife, I don't think it's one the same with any concept to be found in man-made uh, texts. I think religions are painfully man-made. So I don't think there's any atheist who claims to know with 100% certainty that there is a God. We just, we want the evidence. We think religions are man-made. We doubt the existence of a creator or an afterlife. Going on the evidence, 
that we have or lack thereof, the dearth of any evidence for the existence of a particular God or a particular afterlife. So it does seem amazingly arrogant or grandiose to, to say that you know the atheist is wrong. You know, the atheist will say, I don't know for certain that there's not a God. Where's the evidence? You show me, I'll believe. You know, until then. Um, and that's a weird thing where believers seem to want to have their cake and eat it too. On the one hand, they consider faith to be inherently noble, which I think faith is not inherently noble. I don't believe there's anything inherently noble about believing in something that can't be proven because, you know, it's what you were indoctrinated into as a child or because it makes you feel better. I think people should search for the actual truth. I think searching for truth is noble. Um, but on the one hand, a religious person will talk about faith, how we can't know for certain, but we have faith, and that makes us noble in a way. But at the same time, often religious people will try to speak as if they do know. Um, like, our atheist friends, thank God you're wrong. Um, so yeah, that does bother me. And here I am, uh, finally, on the... Uh, <laughs> the right side of the billboard debate uh, with my uh, atheistic kin, so to speak. Um, but with that being said, I think I'll call this episode a wrap. Um, and please keep in mind what I said about Alexander Nye and his Kickstarter project for Son of Man. And uh, if you'd like to help this non-believer out, you can always make a PayPal donation at the uh, official Weekend Out Podbean uh, site. You can go to Podbean, do a search for the Weekend Out, and there should be a PayPal widget. Costs me like $19.99 a month uh, just for my Podbean subscription. Uh, Podbean is the service I use to host the feed. Um, so pretty much everything is out of my pocket because here's a secret. No one really does that uh, audible thing. Uh, the audible.com uh, free trial, but <laughs> I probably shouldn't say that. Um, so you could help me out that way. And I believe, even though I haven't checked it in weeks, I believe I still have a Patreon account. You can always go to uh, patreon.com and look up the weekend out. And I think you can um, sponsor the show by offering a dollar a month or something like that. Um, but now that I've put my hand out like a beggar, uh, I'll do the usual plugs you can follow the show on twitter like the show on facebook check out the youtube channel listen to the show on stitcher uh rate or subscribe through itunes and i think that's it all right until next week